This is uh, from a recorded talk. So we have a day off today, and it's a good opportunity for us to come and to make merit, to make offerings. And uh, so we do this merit um, because we have this day off, and we establish ourselves in heedfulness. And because the fact that our lives are able to last until the present, until this day, is due to the merit that we've made. And this merit is looking after us. It's given us the opportunity to have a human body, and this is something which isn't easy. And uh, so it's due to that, having enough merit, having enough barami, that we are able to be born into this world. And we see that there are many beings, huge amounts of beings who don't have this. Their minds haven't been born into the human realm, and they exist um, lower than this in the realms of woe. And that's because they don't have enough merit, they haven't built the merit uh, to be born as a human. And even devas, celestial beings, uh, when they run out of their merit, then they have to pass away. So they experience that joy and the delight of being in the heaven realms. And it's their merit which has produced that. Uh, the generosity, the virtue, the meditation that they've done, that's what's brought them to gain that kind of birth. But when that merit runs out, um, then they have to get reborn. And the happy destination of a celestial being is the human world. And so for us, we're already born into this happy destination, into this world. We have the opportunity to cultivate merit, we have the opportunity to develop our barami. And we see that the Buddha, he awakened, gained this awakening in the human world. So he developed his barami for a very uh, long time, and so he could gain that awakening. And then he taught many beings, many people, and uh, they listened to his Dhamma, and they were able to attain to the Dhamma. For many, their kilesas got uh, thoroughly reduced, and the number of lives that they had left uh, was less and less, until eventually they became arahants. So for us, we've been born as humans, and we've met with the teachings of the Buddha. And... Um, the Buddha, he gave these teachings mostly in the human world, um, other than the Abhidhamma, which he taught in uh, Tavatinsa heaven. But out of the 84,000 teachings that he gave, the vast majority were in the human world. And so we should feel proud that we've gained this birth as a human. And we have humanity both physically and mentally. So we should recollect that this is a good opportunity, um, and we shouldn't be heedless, we shouldn't neglect that opportunity, but rather try to develop goodness, to develop merit and uh, wholesome qualities. And what that really means is that we should try to bring about right view in our minds. 
And that right view is what will really develop the heart, which will make it higher. Because we have been born and have died in the cycle of samsara uh, many, many times already, we can't fathom how many lives it's been, just how long that has been. And the Buddha, our Buddha, he used an extremely long period of time in order to gain awakening, to develop his Bharami to the point of becoming a Buddha. And there have been many millions of Buddhas in the past um, who have gained awakening before. So what that shows is that the lives that we have in Sangsara are many. So we need to develop our Bharami as well and develop our minds, make them better, make them higher so that they can abide above the world, uh, become Lokutara Jittas. And to do that, the mind needs to gain knowledge, knowledge into conventions, and see the conventions in line with reality. For us, we've all been born into this world, and we've been taught about conventions already. So having been born in Thailand, we know the conventions of the Thai language. The people who are born in America or England, they learn the conventions of the English language. It also depends on what area we're in. So if we're born in central Thailand, then there's one convention of language there. In Isan, in the northeast, there's another kind of convention. But they both really have the same meaning. And the meaning is that we know what certain objects are, that what we know what we're referring to, what other people are referring to. And so Lung Cha, he would give the a comparison between the uh, central Thai dialect and the northeastern dialect. And so in the northeast, uh, for the word city, they say miang, and in central Thai, it's muang. Or um, for salt, it's gia, and in central Thai, glue. And there are different accents, different ways of pronouncing this, but it's just the same word, and the meaning is the same. The meaning is something which is salty. The meaning is a city, a place where many people live. And so each country, each province, they have their conventions of language. And these are just conventions. But in order to develop our minds to be higher, we need to know these conventions in line with their truth. And in doing so, the heart can attain liberation. So like this body, for instance, Uh, we call these bodies many different things, a male or a female, a child, an adult. We say they're young, they're middle-aged, they're old-aged, they die. But this is just conventions. When these conventions come up, then the mind becomes deluded by these conventions and doesn't know them in line with their truth. And so when we are deluded by them, then liking and disliking arise. The mind proliferates, greed, hatred and delusion come up. And this is all due to the delusion that we have in these conventions. But if our minds know these conventions in line with their truth, knowing that they're not actually real, that they're just a heap of stress, of instability, of not-self, that all physical and mental things arise, they stay for a bit, and then they pass away. 
then the heart can become free. It can gain liberation, be liberated from all of its attachments, and here it abides above the world. So the sala, this hall that we're in, for instance, now well, it's a Sunday, and so there are many people here, hundreds of people, and so we feel that uh, the hall is quite small because it's filled. But if there was less, if there was just 20 people, then we'd feel that this hall was very big. And so no matter what we call it, the sala, the hall, it's just indifferent. It just is as it is. If there's a lot of people in it, then it's small. If there's few people, then it's big. But this bigness and smallness, these arise from the proliferation of the mind. The sankhara, how the mind proliferates and creates these things. And then it becomes diluted, diluted by these conventions. But if we contemplate in order to gain a knowledge which is on top of it, which knows these things as we experience them, then we'll see that it's the mind that's proliferating. We'll see that when there's ignorance, then there'll be um, sankhara that happens. Uh, the mind thinks, it proliferates. If it's a good kind of sankhara, we call the skillful sankharas. If it's not good, then this is unskillful. And it just carries on proliferating in this way thinking like this, giving rise to these narratives. And when it's deluded like this, then it goes and attaches to a self, attaches to me and other, there's really a being here. And there's Vedana that comes up feeling, craving and clinging. And this all happens within the mind. But if we are cautious and restrained, then when this process occurs, we can know it. We can know conventions for what they are. So in order to stop the mind from clinging to these conventions, we need to have mindfulness. And we need to use that mindfulness to contemplate. We need to try to train these minds so that it has this quality of sati and also needs wisdom there as well. Because the mind is deluded by these conventions, and when this is the case, then it will need to be born. And when it's born, then it goes through old age, sickness, and death. And we just don't know what's happening. We don't know these um, conditions as they are occurring. And why do we have that ignorance? And why don't we know these things? Well, it's because our minds are covered. They're covered with darkness, so they're not bright. It's like if we have some precious gem, uh, but we don't cut or polish it, then it's not bright. And it's the same with our minds. If they have these chelaces covering over them, and we don't try to cut and polish those chelaces away, then the heart will always be covered over with darkness. And it won't have any good qualities to it, it won't have any value to it. And in that case, will need to be born into a place that isn't good. If there's goodness in the heart, then it will gain a good rebirth. And so if we need to be born again in sangsara, um, then we should try to train our minds and practice and make sure that even though we have greed, hatred and delusion, 
that these are kept within the confines of sila. Even though we may have anger and ill will, oh, we don't follow that. We don't let that go outside the bounds of sila. Even though there may be greed, we don't commit unethical acts. Even though there may be a delusion that there really is a self, we don't let that self um, act in unmoral ways. And so this goodness, uh, the goodness of sila, is very important. It's looking after our acts of body and speech. And it makes our minds strong. And strong just like a stone. And uh, so the Pali word for stone is uh, sila. So we have this strength, this solidity. And when we build an ordination hall, um, they use these sila stones uh, to mark uh, the boundary of that ordination hall. And uh, these are strong stones. They can hold up against the weather. And uh, sila of virtue, it's the same. It gives us strength. And this is something that's really important for our minds, to have the strength of sila. So we make sure that we're generous, and that's just a normal part of our life, that we keep these five precepts as a normal standard for our actions. And we make merit, and uh, this is just something that we do every day. And if we do this, then we're a part of the fourfold Buddhist assembly, a part of this assembly which has belief and faith in the fully awakened Buddha. So the Lord Buddha, he taught us to sacrifice. He taught us to be generous. And he taught us to keep these precepts. And so we do this um, following his teachings. And we really try and really put our intention, wholeheartedly try to keep these five precepts as best we can. And this becomes the cause for our mind to develop, for it to grow and be raised to higher levels. That's due to our generosity, due to our virtue. This is what brings our minds to peace, to happiness, makes them light and bright to one degree. But we also need to take it to the next level as well, and to develop our minds so they're even higher than this. So we gain this happiness um, from generosity and from sila, and this is the happiness of the heaven realm. You see that even if we live at home, we have a family, but all of the members of that family are virtuous, then this will be a cool and a happy household. But if the people there don't have the sila, then it will be very agitated, there will be conflict. Even though we may have a lot of wealth, that wealth doesn't have the ability to bring happiness into our hearts. And if we don't have Dhamma in our hearts, then the hearts won't have happiness. And so it's really important gaining this Dhamma. Our minds need to seek out Dhamma to find it. And so this is something that we should seek out. You see that we need to gain external wealth in order to look after our bodies, to allow us to survive. But our hearts need to seek out the Dhamma. And if they don't have this, then they'll be hot. And that shows that our hearts are in hell. But if the mind is cool, if it's happy, then it's gone to heaven.
And so this hell, it's not within the body. And heaven isn't in the body. And neither is Nibbana. See that if the mind doesn't have greed, hatred and delusion, then it's cool. And there's Nibbana right there within our own hearts. Or for Brahma gods, that they have very deep levels of samadhi, this is able to put the kilesas at bay. They're able to suppress these due to their power of their samadhi, just like a rock that's sitting on top of grass. But whenever one takes that rock off, um, then the grass will grow back again. And when the mind leaves that samadhi, then the kilesas will arise anew. And so we need to use the samadhi to contemplate so that we gain a clear knowledge of conventions in line with their reality for the heart to be able to let go, for it to be able to abide above the world and be relieved from all of its doubts. And so when we see the things of this world for what they are, we see them as just being conventions, then the heart becomes empty and it is relieved from all of its attachments. It um, doesn't cling to a self, to me or to you, uh, because it's seen that this body, it's not a being, it's not a self, it's not an other, and that in reality it's just a heap of change, of stress, of not-self. The mind gained knowledge in this way, and it shows that it's gained wisdom. In order for us to have wisdom, we need mindfulness and we need to have firm samadhi so that the defilements are able to be suppressed for a period of time, leaving us the opportunity to contemplate, to make the mind bright. And so we polish the heart to one degree through the strength of our samadhi, bringing brightness here, and then we give rise to wisdom, knowing the state, the reality of conventions as we experience them seeing that all the sense impressions that we experience are just conventions. And when we gain this knowledge, it shows us that the results of our practice are fruiting for us. But in the beginning, we don't have this knowledge. We don't have much wisdom, and our samadhi may be quite weak. And so we need to be generous. With generosity, we don't need to give a lot we just do so in line with our means. We also see that virtue, morality, this doesn't cost us any money. And being restrained in body and speech, this doesn't cost anything. But it brings more benefit than generosity does. Because we see that some people, they're generous, but they're immoral. And so if we don't have much money, then we can still keep these precepts and we should focus on that, creating peace through our actions of body and speech. And then next we come to bring peace into our minds through our chanting, through our meditation, bringing the mind to be firm in the state of samadhi. Whenever we're standing, sitting, walking, lying down, listening, speaking, thinking, then we should have mindfulness there. Always be training our minds to be mindful, bringing the mind here into the present moment and trying to keep it in the present moment a lot. 
So when we train our minds in this way, having mindfulness like this, then they'll know the the sense experiences, and the mind won't be swayed by liking or disliking. That's because we know that all of these things are just conventions, and so the mind doesn't go off into liking or disliking. The mind gains freedom here. And if we know this, if we know conventions for what they are, then the mind also becomes empty. So we need to train the mind to gain this knowledge of conventions so that it can experience liberation. And this can appear within our own hearts. We practice in line with the teachings of the fully self-awakened Buddha. And he was one who knew the world. He was one who knew all of these conventions. And there was this clear wisdom that had arisen within his own heart that allowed for his heart to gain purity, to gain freedom. So he had this quality of great wisdom that allowed for him to defeat all of the defilements. And his mind gained purity, it gained this great inner beauty uh, due to being freed from those defilements. And he was an arahant, one far away from the kilesas. The fire of the kilesas was no longer burning his heart. And he also had this great, boundless compassion that had no end to it. So he developed his barami for a very long time, and then awakened to the Dharma and then taught that Dharma to us as well. And that Dharma that the Buddha taught, we can listen to that in this day and age. Even though we may not have been born during the Buddha's time, or perhaps we were born during the Buddha's time, but we didn't see the Dharma then. But whenever we see the Dhamma, and then we see that right here within our own hearts, and it's possible for us to do that in the present moment. So we should understand that the Buddha isn't far away. When we say that the Buddha passed away, that he died, he went into Nibbana, and that was just his body that we were talking about. But his pure heart is still here. And when we recollect that, and then our minds become joyful, they become bright. And we're able to see the pure mind of the Buddha. And um, how is that so? Well, some people, even though they were born during the time of the Buddha, they didn't see the Dhamma. And even though they grabbed onto his robes, they still hadn't actually seen the Buddha. And that's what the Buddha himself said. That even though some people were very close to him, they still hadn't actually seen him. So there was one disciple who had great faith in the Buddha. And whenever he saw the Lord Buddha, his mind filled up with joy and happiness. There was just so much delight that he felt in seeing the Buddha. And he felt like he didn't need to do anything. He didn't need to listen to the Dhamma. All he needed to do was just watch the Buddha, to see the Buddha. And already there was just such ease and happiness within his heart. But the Buddha knew what was going on that he was attached, attached to the Buddha's body, and that if this monk had to go far away from the Buddha, he wouldn't be able to take it, and he would want to die, he'd want to go and jump off a cliff, and feel like it's better to die than to be far away from the Buddha. 
So the Buddha could see this, and he taught this monk, taught him to contemplate, to not attach to external things, not to attach to this body, to contemplate the nature of physical and mental things. And through this, he found purity, he found freedom. And this disciple became an arahant. And it was only when he became an arahant that when he saw the Dhamma that he actually saw the Buddha. It was when he saw the Dhamma that he saw the Buddha within his own heart. He saw this nature of awakening appear within his own heart. So some people are close to the Buddha, but they don't actually see the Buddha. It's when we see the Dhamma, that's when we perceive the Buddha, which means that um, our hearts gain this nature of awakening, they gain this inner Buddha within them, and this Buddha fills up the heart. So for us, we've been born into this present day and age, and we're able to practice the Dhamma, we're able to see the nature of conventions for what they are, how all physical and mental things are just conventions that we can't find a self within them. They're just things that arise, stay for a bit, and cease, and it's normal that they are that way. When we see things in this light, then we gain freedom. It's vimuti, and we see the Buddha. The mind becomes empty, we see the Dhamma, we perceive the Buddha. And that's what the Buddha said, that whoever sees the Dhamma, sees me. The Buddha is there within the Dhamma. And so if we see the state of instability or change, of stress, of not-self within physical and mental things, then we see the Buddha right within our own hearts. And so the Buddha is not far away. He's right here within our own hearts. And so we should practice and to see the truth of conventions to see how all physical and mental phenomena are just conventions, Um, to see how all the things of this world, everything that fills up this world, um, it's just that, just a convention. It's all empty. And our minds don't attach to these things. We see the conventional nature of them and we experience this liberation. So like this hall, for instance, it's not big and it's not small. But it's the proliferation of the mind that gives rise to that. And we can see that the hall itself is just a convention. It's just a bunch of elements that have come together, elements that arise, stay for a bit and cease. They're always arising and ceasing, constantly arising and ceasing. Things that need to decay, that need to break apart and fall apart. And then all the things, all the material things of this world are this way. And we'll feel that if someone came and offered all of the wealth of this world to us, that we wouldn't be interested in it. See that all the material things here, those that have all the sentient things and the non-sentient things, um, they are both of the nature to arise and cease. And when we see this, then the mind no longer clings to them. We see the nature of the world for what it is. So we see the nature of both external and internal wealth. Know that the wealth of this world is something that we need to give up, we need to throw away. And so we focus on this internal wealth. And we do so by getting to know the nature of conventions. 
and so that the mind doesn't attach to them. Because when this body dies, then we need to leave all of these things, um, all the things of this world, or we need to put it down. When we see this, the mind won't be interested in them. All the money that we gain, even this body itself, we need to leave all these things behind. When we see this, then we gain the eye of the Dhamma. This appears within our own hearts. The mind becomes full, it becomes joyful and happy. And we see that the happiness that we gain, the sense of inner satisfaction, it's much more than what external wealth can provide us. Because the external wealth that we gain, um, the happiness that we get from external things, this comes from the gain, from the praise, the status, and the pleasure that we experience. But these also have their downsides as well. They have the opposites of loss, loss of status, of criticism, of pain. And so the happiness um, in the world, it's a uncertain happiness. But there's also another kind of happiness, the happiness that we gain through the Dhamma, a niramita sukha, which is a happiness which isn't dependent upon external things. So like for all of us coming here, and we've uh, been generous already, we've used uh, external things, our wealth, to be generous, We've given them to support the Buddha-sasana, this Buddhist religion, giving them an offering, and homage of the Buddha. And through doing this, then our hearts obtain merit, and this appears within our own minds. It's the goodness that comes up, that fills up the mind. And when we recollect the good things that we've done, the times that we've been generous, the times we've kept our precepts well, the times that we've meditated, then whenever we recollect these things, then happiness appears within our own minds. And we collect up this merit. We collect and gather up the merit of generosity, of virtue, of meditation. And we also make sure we collect up mindfulness as well. And this is what will bring our minds to be freed from suffering. The generosity that we do, this relieves the greed in our hearts. Um, the sila that we keep, this helps to um, reduce the anger and the meditation that we do, this reduces delusion. So through meditation we can experience a genuine happiness in this heart, one which isn't dependent upon the world, one which is above the world. It's not dependent upon any material things. And when we know the Dhamma, then the mind is raised up, it transcends the world which means that it transcends all of these sense experiences. When we see the Dhamma, then that's when we abandon greed, hatred and delusion, and the mind gains the coolness of Nibbāna. It becomes freed from these defilements. So the defilements, when they're in the mind, they create heat and agitation. They burn the mind. There's the fire of lust, the fire of anger, the fire of delusion. And these work to burn the heart. But when we give up these, when we abandon these, then there's coolness. And the more that we can put these down, the more cool the mind will become. So if we can establish our minds in samadhi, then we'll see that there's a coolness that comes through that. Uh, because 
the mind isn't oppressed um, by these defilements in that state. It's able to suppress these defilements. So it's similar to like how when we haven't rested our body, um, that there will be painful feelings that come up within the body. And uh, when our minds aren't in a state of peace, then there will be painful feelings that come up within the mind. And we'll get the feeling that we want to have a rest. We want to rest our minds. We want to bring them to peace. So they can feel this coolness. They can feel that ease. So in the times or the days that we're not able to bring the mind to that peace, we'll feel like there's something lacking. We feel like we want to give the mind a rest. And it's through that meditation, through samadhi, that we can feel this buoyancy of heart and of body, that both the body and the mind feel very spacious and open. And samadhi gives us these kinds of benefits. And when it's giving us these consistent benefits, then there won't be laziness in the practice. We'll gain this effort, we'll want to meditate a lot. In the beginning, however, we need to depend upon our patience and endurance. Because sometimes there'll be peace and sometimes not, so we need to endure, especially during those times when it's not peaceful. And just carry on sitting in meditation, walking in meditation, constantly be contemplating, seeing how life is not sure, thinking that maybe today is the last day. Maybe I'll die in this morning. Maybe I'll die at midday. Maybe I'll die in the afternoon. Maybe in the evening, maybe at night. Maybe when I go to sleep, I won't wake up again. And see how things aren't sure, that this life is not sure, but death is sure. Death is the culmination of my life. My life must end in death. So people die every single day. And we get to know this sometimes. And so we should bring that knowledge back within ourselves, reflect upon ourselves, and tell ourselves that I too will have to die. See how this life is something that really isn't sure. And when we die, what can we take away with us? We may have a wife or a husband, children, grandchildren, but we'll have to be separated from all of those people and from all of the wealth that we gain. We come into this world by ourselves, and we leave this world by ourselves. We have to spin around in the cycle of samsara by ourselves. So we should understand that the world is just the way it is. That all the things that we hear about, the ways that people abuse each other, harm each other, kill each other, um, this happened before the time of the Buddha. It happened during the time of the Buddha, and it's happening a lot during our time as well. And that's what happens when people don't have sila dhamma, they don't have virtue. And so it's important for us to keep this virtue. And we also need this quality of dhamma within our hearts as well. And if we can gain a lot of dhamma, then we'll gain a lot of coolness. And this is what brings the world to peace. The world is able to be peaceful because the hearts of the people in the world are imbued with Dhamma. So today it's a day off and we've come to the monastery seeking out Dhamma. And so that 
this can appear within our hearts. And we do that through meditation. That's bhavana meditation. What that means is developing our minds. Because when we experience kind of the celestial states, it's the mind that experiences that. When the mind is human, it's the mind that's human. When it's fallen into hell, then it's the mind that's fallen into hell. It's this mind. When it's gone up to the Brahma realms, it's this mind that's gone up there. When it's attained to Nibbana, it's this mind that has experienced Nibbana. So the state of the mind, what we're experiencing, this depends upon the qualities in the mind. If those qualities are no good, then what we're doing is building the path to woe, to suffering. And this happens right within the present moment. And the, the heart is in these painful places. It's in a sad state right in the present moment. But if we build up goodness through our virtue, through our generosity, then the mind goes to the heaven realm right here in the present moment. It has this brightness, it has joy there within it. It's like being under a tree um, that has lots of leaves. And that tree is it's able to offer us shelter from the sun, from the rain. But if the tree is barren, it doesn't have any leaves, then we'll be hot underneath it. And there will be a lot of painful feelings that come from the weather. It doesn't provide us that protection. So it's important for us to develop our minds, to bring them to a state of goodness, to make them better, to fill them up with this goodness. And that is what will bring us from humanity to a celestial state. And sometimes the mind gains deep samadhi and it goes to a Brahma realm. And so when we see the laws of instability or change, of stress, of not-self, that the mind becomes noble and we experience liberation. So may all of you grow in the Dhamma.